Well, if you have your Bibles, I want you to take them and go to the book of Genesis chapter 5. How's everybody tonight? Are midterms happening? Is that... Yes? Okay. I'm so glad I'm not in college anymore. Um, Be a college pastor, not a college student. Genesis chapter 5. If you are a uh, visitor tonight, we're glad you're here at Refuge. My name is Matt. I'm the college pastor here. Um, We are in the middle of a series called The Pursuit. We just got through with a series called Origins. And um, basically tonight, I'm going to introduce you to a guy named Noah. I've been pretty jacked up about this, uh, this message all week, so Noah's a pretty cool guy. How many of you grew up going to church? Raise your hand. Went to church. Okay. How many of you went to VBS and, and heard the story of Noah? How many of you saw the story of Noah on a, a flannel felt board? Anyone? Okay. Sweet. How many of you like boats? Anybody like boats? Okay. This story is for most people in this room. Um, basically, what we found out is this. As we walk through Genesis. Genesis 1, God created everything. And he created you and he created me, he created us in his image. Genesis chapter 2, he zooms in a little bit on the creation of the man and the woman. Genesis chapter 3, sin enters the picture, everything falls apart. The image of God that you and I are supposed to reflect is broken, but it's not completely lost. Genesis chapter 4, we see the effects of sin. Cain kills Abel. We see brother killing brother. Everything is falling apart. And where we're going to pick up tonight is in Genesis chapter 5, and we're going to try to cover some chapters tonight, so we have some work to do, so uh, you'll have to hold on. We're going to move quickly tonight, uh, but we're going to try to take the story of Noah and uh, break it down and maybe see it in a different way we haven't seen it before. But let's pray before we do that. Can we do that? Let's pray. Father God, tonight we just thank you for your word. God, we thank you that we don't have to dress your word up. We don't have to make it cool. We don't have to make it relevant. It is. It is relevant. It speaks to our lives where we are. And God, somehow you knew that the story of Noah and a huge boat and a flood would impact our lives where we're sitting right now. So God, I pray that you would help us connect the dots And God, see this story that many of us have heard over and over and over again in in a different way. God, we love you. God, thank you that you are a gracious and a merciful God, and you give us so many opportunities. God, you delay your judgment because you're merciful. So God, I pray tonight for that person who's in here who you are delaying your judgment for them because you want to extend mercy and grace to them in Jesus Christ. God, I pray for that person. God, thank you that you're a loving God. We love you, and it's in your name that we pray. And all of God's people said, Genesis chapter 5. Now, if you're like me when you're reading the Bible, and you get to one of those parts of the Bible where there's a lot of names, and it talks about so-and-so begat so-and-so, and and -and so-and-so died and lived 500 years, and then so-and-so begat so-and-so, and then that person died and lived 600 years. How many of you get really, really amped about reading those passages? Nobody, right? Let's just be really honest. The genealogies, as they're called, are not the most like when I'm reading through the Bible and I get to the genealogies, I'm like, okay, let's read through this quickly and let's get to the good stuff like Jesus casting out demons and calling the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. I like that. Right. That's cool. But we start in Genesis chapter five. And here's the deal about the Bible. This is why I love the Bible. This is why we're all about the Bible here is because of this. Every single bit of the Bible. Is worth our reading. 
All of it is inspired by God. So even the genealogies and even the little stuff that we think does not matter, it has a reason. It is there for a purpose, as we're going to see tonight in Genesis chapter 5. Look at Genesis chapter 5 with me. If you don't have a Bible, somebody sitting near you probably has a Bible. I'm sure they'd like to share it with you. If you don't have a Bible, there's others of us who have 20 Bibles that sit on our bookshelves. We would probably like to give you one. So come find me, and I'll find someone that has an extra Bible, and we'll get you a Bible. Genesis chapter 5, look at verse 1. It says this. This is the book of generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. So it's basically echoing Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And then it goes through this laundry list of people. Look at verse 6. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and the other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Seth were 912 years and he died. Then it goes through like this. Check this out. It keeps going. It says, Enosh lived 90 years. Enosh lived after he'd fathered Kenan, 815 years. That's a long time. Thus, all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. And it continues on like this. Verse 12, verse 15, verse 18. It says, Kenan lived 910 years, and he died. Mahalel lived 895 years, and he died. Enoch. Then we get to a guy named Enoch. And it's a little bit different. I want you to look at this. Here's what it says about our buddy Enoch here. It says, verse 18, when Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Jared were 962 years and he died. But when Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. You ever heard someone say they're as old as Methuselah? Mm, Well, Enoch walked... With God, and after he had fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters, thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. See, even in these boring, so to speak, genealogies, the writer of Genesis is trying to say something. Because from the fall, the curse is set in and death is set in. Here's what he's saying. He's saying Enoch lived so many years and he died. Mahalel lived so many years and he died. So-and-so lived so many years and he died. Basically, here's what he's saying. From the fall, the curse has set in and the curse has not been reversed. He wants us to get the magnitude of this. The fall and sin causes death. And so for 1,600 years, you add up all those numbers, it's 1,600 years. Death has ensued and it wasn't supposed to be that way. It wasn't. God created man his image, and he meant for him to live forever. And here's what the writer of Genesis is trying to go. It's not the way it's supposed to be. You're born. You see a hot girl, a hot guy. You get married. You have some breakfast. You sin a whole lot, and then you die. That's what he's saying. And it's repetitious. It's mundane. You're born You sin, you die. You're born, you sin, you die. You're born, you sin, you die. And he's saying that is how it is for everybody. But then he gets to a guy named Enoch, and it's different. It says Enoch walked with the Lord, but it doesn't say Enoch died. It says he was no more. God took him. And here's what the writer of Genesis is trying to say. He's trying to say there is a way not to die. Death doesn't have to be the end. And here's the reality. He's going to connect this to Noah, and we're going to see this through this whole series, is that those who walk with the Lord, who walk with God, don't have to die. It's amazing truth he's revealing right here in these middle of these boring genealogies, is that so-and-so died, so-and-so died, so-and-so died. But then he says, Enoch walked with God, and he did not die. God took him. 
And if you were a Hebrew and you were reading that, you would have gone, death, 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 life. You would have seen life because Enoch walked with the Lord and he did not die. There is a way not to die and it's walking with the Lord. Well, then it continues on in this genealogy and it gets even more interesting. Look uh, in chapter five. We'll kind of continue on here. Look at verse 28. It says a guy named Lamech had lived about 182 years and he fathered a son and he called his name Noah saying out of the ground, the Lord is cursed. This one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toils of our hands. Does anybody remember Genesis chapter 3? There were some curses, right? He said to the woman, he said, when you have a baby, it will hurt and you want to smack your husband. Okay? He said to the man, he said, you will work for your family and you will do it by the sweat of your brow. Cursed is the ground that you work. That's part of the fall. And Lamech has Noah and he names him Noah because Noah means rest. And here's what he thought. Noah will bring us relief from this cursed ground. See, all throughout the Old Testament, as we look at Noah and as we look at Abraham next week and then Moses and then Joshua, all throughout the New Testament, the Old Testament, they are looking for the Messiah because they know he's coming. And so as you would read this as a Hebrew person reading it for the first time, you may go, maybe Noah is that guy who's going to save us from this cursed, wretched life of death that has ensued since the fall. Maybe he's the guy because his name means relief. So maybe he's going to bring relief from this cursed ground and this cursed body and all these curses. He's going to bring relief. Well, we'll find out that Noah isn't the guy, but God does some pretty amazing things. Check this out as it continues. It says this. It tells us about Noah a little bit. Look at verse 30. Lamech lived after Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. doesn't mention them, but it mentions Noah. Thus, all the days of Lamech were 777 years and he died. And Noah was 500 years old, and Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So we get into Noah. Look at chapter 6. We're going to read a lot of scripture tonight, so I hope that's okay. But just follow along with me. We're going to bring some things out tonight about God. Because this story that we think about Noah and the big boat is not just about a guy who was righteous before God and got a yacht. Okay, It's not just about a guy in a boat. It's more about the character of God than it is about a guy in a boat. It's revealing some things to us to be true about God and his character and how he relates to sinful, jacked up people. So it continues on. It says this in chapter six. It says, when man, look at verse one, chapter six. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were attractive. Cool. And they took as their wives any as they chose. Then the Lord said, my spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be as of 120 years. The Nephilim, which is weird, I'll kind of hit on that in a second, were on the earth in those days and also afterward. When the sons of God came to the daughters of men and they bore children to them, these were mighty men who were of old and the men of renown. So a lot of people, let me just kind of take two seconds here and explain this passage. A lot of people look at this passage and say, who are the Nephilim? That's kind of weird. Who are these sons of God? Who are these daughters of God? They're these daughters of men, actually. And, and here's the deal. Some people think that these sons of God are these half angel, half human beings or half um, demonic, even fallen angels that, ha- that basically thought that these daughters of men were attractive and had babies with them. And then you have like little demon babies running around. Those people drank out of the toilet. OK, that is not what this is saying. Basically, the sons of God, many people believe, was the godly line of a guy named Seth. And they married into the ungodly line of a guy named Cain. And they intermarried. That's what it's saying. But it continues on. It gives us even a bigger picture of what has ensued since the fall. Check this out as we continue in in chapter 6, verse 5. 
Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. He was utterly depraved, is what it says. He was messed up. The wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was evil continually. Here's what he's saying. He's saying he saw that his actions were messed up. He was evil. He was wicked. God's creation had become wicked, but not just in his actions. Because here's what I know. Sin is not just about what we do. It's about what is in our heart, in our mind. And God saw that even the intentions of their heart and their mind were wicked and messed up, and so they lived wickedly. So God sees wickedness. He sees wickedness, and here's what it says happens. Verse 6, in chapter 6. And the Lord was sorry. (laughs) You ever been sorry for something? This is what it says here. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth. I want you to catch the gravity of that. He was sorry that he had made man. Now here's God who made us in his image. And for 1,600 years, death has ensued. Wickedness has ensued. Man is wicked by his acts. He is also wicked by his intentions. And because of his wicked intentions, he has wicked acts. And he sees this ensuing for 1,600 years. And God is grieved. I want you to look at this passage here. It says, let's go back to the text here. It says that God was sorry he made man on the earth. And then it says this, and it grieved him to his heart. Can I just tell you this tonight, guys? Sin which can be described as not honoring, obeying God, and giving him glory with your life. Sin grieves the heart of God. It does. And here's what we're going to see, is how in the story of Noah, God deals with sinful, messed up us. It's pretty amazing. It said that sin grieves the heart of God. I cannot imagine what it would be like as God. I can't imagine what it would be like to be God, number one. Pretty awesome. I'd have like constant lattes. Um, can't imagine what it'd be like to be God. Can't imagine what it'd be like to be God and create something that is in your image and you want it to reflect you and represent you and bring you glory. And then all it is is 1,600 years of wickedness. Sin grieves the heart of God. Your sin grieves the heart of God. My sin grieves the heart of God. And the only way I know how to put it is this is if someday Ava, my three-year-old daughter, disowns us, leaves our house, lives in a manner in which we have taught her not to live, and basically says she wants to have nothing to do with us, that would grieve deeply my heart. I don't know if I'd be able to function as a dad. You take that, you times about a million, and that's God's heart right here in Genesis chapter 5. He is grieved to the core, to the heart. So he's going to do something, right? Here's what it says. It continues on. It shows us what God is going to do. It says this, verse 7. So the Lord said, I'll blot man out whom I've created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and the birds of the heaven, for I am sorry that I made them. But check this out, verse 8. Love it. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Here's what we're going to see first is this, is that God deals with sinful, messed up people, and he deals with us in our sin in a certain way, in a couple of ways. We're going to see this tonight, is that God deals with our sin and our messed upness in this way first, with great mercy and with great grace, with mercy and grace. Now, let me define these terms for you. Maybe you know what they mean, but maybe you don't. Mercy is basically this, not getting what you deserve. Not getting what you deserve. So you kill someone, you should go to jail. You don't go to jail. You didn't get what you deserve. You got mercy. Grace is getting what you don't deserve, right? 
So let's take that same analogy. You kill someone, you don't go to jail, and then all of a sudden you get like a brand new car. You probably didn't deserve that. You didn't go to jail and you got a new car. Mercy and grace. Here's what we're going to see. God deals with sinful people with mercy and grace. Check this out. Continues on. Verse 8. Check this out. (coughs) But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. I want you to camp there for just a second on that passage, on that verse 8. Everybody that I've ever heard, for the most part, not everybody, but a lot of people, most children's Bibles, most children's stories really mess up the story of Noah because it usually goes something like this. And maybe this is how you've heard it been told. Everybody was wicked. Everybody was messed up. God looked down and he said, I'm going to destroy everybody and start over. But then he found one dude who was really awesome. His name was Noah. Noah was righteous. And he said, I will save Noah. And I would do it by asking him to build a honking huge boat for 120 years because Noah has earned my favor. That's usually kind of how it goes, something like that. The problem is that is absolutely wrong. Nowhere here do we see that Noah has done anything to earn the favor of God. It just says everybody was wicked, including Noah. And then for whatever reason, it says this, that Noah, verse 8, had found favor in the eyes of God. Do you know what that word favor there is in the Hebrew? It's the Hebrew word for grace. Noah was as jacked up and messed up and sinful and wicked in his heart and his actions as every single other person on the earth. And God, for whatever reason, looked down on Noah and said, I'm going to show him my favor. But a lot of people say, no, 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 no. Noah was this righteous guy, wasn't he? Well, it does say that. Continue on. It says this, verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, and he was blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Notice this. It's after verse 8 that it says Noah was righteous and he walked with God. So here's the reality, is that this lines up with the rest of Scripture because of this. You and I have done nothing to merit the grace and favor of God. Noah is not any different. It's not like he was Mr. Merit Badge guy living back then. Everybody else was wicked, and he's down there praying 24 hours a day. No. Noah was wicked. And for whatever reason, God showed his hesed love. Hesed is a Hebrew word that we don't even have an equal for in English. It is love. It is compassion. It is passion. It is mercy. It is grace. You take every word for love that you could conjure up and you roll it into one big English word, and that is God's has said love, which is what his covenants are based on. We're going to talk about that in a second. So basically, Noah gets this grace from God, and we don't know why, but he does. And then it says this, because of the favor of the Lord, Noah became a righteous man that walked with God. It is not about what Noah did. It is about the character of God and the fact that he showed his has said love to Noah. So, so check this out. He continues on here and it says this, verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence, and God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. See, behold, I will destroy the earth. He says this, verse 14. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. He had to kill a lot of gophers to get that wood. Verse 7, make rooms in the ark. It gets incredibly detailed. Cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark is supposed to be 300 cubits. 
Its breadth are supposed to be 50 cubits. Its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to the cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. He said, man, this is going to be a carnival cruise line. Okay? Verse 17. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth and all will die. Now, most people look at this and they go, how could God, who is so good, who is so supposedly said good and loving, bring calamity on all the earth like this? Surely God is not dealing with mercy and grace. He is dealing with wrath and vengeance. Because again, like I said last week, most people, even people who go to church every week, look at the Old Testament and they say, God had a migraine in the Old Testament. He took a Tylenol PM for 400 years and he woke up and he was happy. His name was Jesus. That is not true. Okay, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So what is going on here? I want to tell you what's going on. If you skip back up a couple of verses, you'll see something I read a minute ago, and it said this, that God determined that the days of man in that time would be no longer than 120 years. Now, some people think this is God determining that man from that point on would not live any longer than 120 years, because you saw in that genealogy, dude was living 500 years, one guy was living 800 years. One guy was living 900 years. These people lived a long time. I just want to see somebody who's 900 years old, man. You know what I'm saying? And these guys are having babies and stuff. You know, I'm like, not going there. Anyway, um, 900-year-old people procreating. Okay. So here's, here's what it says. I digress. Um, it says that... That God said they're not going to live past 120 years. Why? That is not him saying that man will not live longer than 120 years because after the flood, you have people living longer than 120 years. So that's not what it is. Here's what it is. God said, from this point that I speak this, in 120 years, I will destroy the earth. Do you know how long Noah worked on the ark? 120 years. Check out what it says here. It continues on in this passage in chapter 6. We're going to read some more Bible. Hope that's okay. Verse 18. He says, I will bring a flood into the earth. Everything will die. But I will establish my covenant with you. And then you shall come into the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you, your whole family, man. You're going to have a family reunion on the boat. It's going to be great. Verse 19. And every living thing of the flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. And they shall be male and female and of the birds according to their kinds and the animals according to their kinds and every creeping thing on the ground according to its kind two of every short sort shall come and to keep them alive also take with you every sort of food that is to be eaten and stored up and you shall serve the food for you and for them noah did this he did all that god commanded so here's what i want you to see is that god is treating his people not just noah because we can look at noah and go oh noah was the great chosen one God loved him, and so he said, build a boat. I'm not sure if I'm Noah, if I'm getting too amped about the fact that God has said, hey, Noah, I love you. And by the way, that gets you a building project for 120 years. I think I'd be like, can I get some help here? Any more righteous people? Are they all wicked? Can, I, can some wicked people help me? Is that cool? And then maybe they just die. I just see Noah going, hey, guys, I'm building a boat. Here's the problem. Some people up to that point think it had not rained. Here's what we do know, though, is that in the period of the world they were in, they're in a desert. So everyone walking by for 120 years would have been like, no, what are you doing? What, what are you doing? I'm just building a boat. What is a boat? 
<laughs> well, see, in 120 years, it's going to rain. What is rain? That's like me going, hey, once you build a sambal out, because in 120 years, it's going to fubba. What is that? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Everybody's like, Noah, you're out of your mind. You know what Noah's doing? Building. He's just building. And people walking by, and I can just see Noah going, hey, can you hand me that hammer? Yeah, you're wicked. You're going to die, but hand me the hammer. You know. <laughs> and here's what I want you to see. That God is not dealing with his people in vengeance or wrath. God is dealing with his people with grace and mercy. And it is how he deals with you, and it is how he deals with me. The Bible says that God told Noah to be a preacher of righteousness. First Peter says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. So not only is Noah building a boat, Noah's preaching sermons, man. He started a house church, a boat church, whatever you want to call it, man. He had a church, and it was him and his family, eight people meeting and having church. Every Sunday, the sermon was the same. Repent, get on the boat. He's going, why is my church not growing? Well, Dad, because your sermon's the same every week. Repent and get on the boat. But that's what God told him to do. He's building a boat with one hand. He's preaching the gospel in a sense, the kingdom, righteousness, repentance in the other. And every day as people walked by, they would have seen him building the boat. They would have heard him talking about the righteousness of God. He was a preacher of righteousness for 120 years. God gave people the opportunity to repent, and they didn't. God is gracious, and it is audacious of us to look at Noah's story or anybody else to look at Noah's story and say that he's a wrathful, vengeful God. How could God do that to people? How could he not? He gave them 120 years to repent, and everyone mocked Noah. He's a good God. He's a good God. So he deals with us in mercy and grace. And don't you know that God deals with us, even though we're not building boats, in mercy and grace? Because it is true that some of us in this room continue in our sin unrepentant, and you think that you will get away with it. And it is true that God would be right in judging you right now. It is true. But God allows you to continue in hopes that you will repent and have your affection stirred for Jesus and follow Jesus and live for Jesus. And every single day that you breathe, even as you live in sin, for some of us in this room who are unrepentant, It is a gift of mercy and grace from God so that you can repent. God is gracious to his people. But it goes on, it says this. If you look at chapter 7, it says that God deals with sin, and he deals with it in a way that is gracious, and he deals with it in a way that is merciful, but then eventually God will deal with sin and judgment. Check this out. Look at chapter 7. We see the truth of this, and it continues on. Then the Lord God said to Noah, Go on to the ark, you and all of your household. For I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. And then he says, take with you seven pairs of clean animals, the male and the feet and the, and the mate, and a pair of animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds and also the heavens and the males of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. Look at verse 6. Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters came upon the earth. He is tired from building. And he was probably so glad to see that water come. Verse 7, and Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood of clean animals and of animals that are not clean and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground. Two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah, and God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came up on the earth. It tells us this in verse 12, actually verse 11. It says that the fountains of the great deep 
burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened, and rain fell upon the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. God sends his judgment. It is true that God deals with us in mercy and grace, and he deals with you in mercy and grace, and he deals with your family members in mercy and grace, and he deals with your friends in mercy and grace. But can I be honest with you? God is a God of judgment and wrath. So many times we like the side of God that is loving and is compassionate, but you cannot have a loving, compassionate, good God without a God who is just, and he has to deal with sin. And so for 120 years, he tarried, so to speak. But now God in chapter 7 is dealing with sin, and it says that the waters came up from the deep, and they came down from above. And if you were here for our origin series or you've read Genesis 1, you know this, that when God made the expanse, he took the waters, he separated them, he stored it up in the heavens, he took some below. And the Bible says this, that that was the only day that God did not call good. And some people think because he knew in his foreknowledge and his sovereignty that someday all those waters from above and below would flood the earth of all the wickedness, and that hurt his heart. And so the judgment comes. For 120 years, Noah's faithful, by the way. Now, I don't know about you, but I struggle when God tells me to do something to be faithful to it. I'm just like you. God tells me to do something, and I start at it, and I'm strong. And then about a week into it, I go, God, this is hard. I don't know if I want to do this. Noah was faithful 120 years. And the Bible doesn't give us any reason to think that God spoke anything new to Noah. For some of you, God has told you to do something, and you keep asking for some new revelation from God, and he's not giving it to you because you haven't been obedient with what he's told you to do in the first place. God told Noah to build a boat, and he told him exactly how to do it, and it tells us in that passage in chapter 6, God told Noah to do that, and Noah did everything God commanded him to. And for 120 years, Noah's building, he's preaching, and God's not really saying a whole lot, But he was holding on to a promise that God would someday flood the earth, and he had to be faithful. And the next thing that God says to Noah after 120 years is this. Noah, get your family, get your kids, get your grandkids, get those animals, and get on that boat. And it tells us that the hand of the Lord closed the door of the boat. I don't know about you, but it would be difficult for me. To see the floodwaters coming and to know that for 120 years, I have begged with my friends, my work, my co-workers, my classmates to repent and get on the boat. And they all they have done is mock me. Moms and dads went to work that day, not knowing that was going to be their last day. So we just we, we don't think about the people, do we? We think about the boat and we think about it floating, but we don't think about people who experienced the wrath of God that day because they didn't repent. Moms and dads, little children who were running around playing, who had no clue what was about to happen. And Noah gets on the boat. And I have a feeling that he couldn't close that door because he didn't have it inside of him to shut everybody else out. And he looked at his friends, he looked at his, his coworkers, his kids' classmates, all the people he had lived with for the past 120 years and begged them. And they experienced the judgment and the wrath of God. I wonder sometimes if our heart breaks for those who have not chosen to follow Christ. I don't know what was going on in Noah's heart that day. But what we do know is everybody outside that boat was experiencing his wrath. God's judgment will come. 
And can I just be honest with you tonight? Saying this kind of stuff isn't going to build any crowds. <laughs> but for some of you in this room, you wait and you wait and you wait and you don't repent. Some of you have never accepted Christ and you wait and you wait and you wait and you don't repent. God's judgment is coming. And just like Noah said, get on the boat. God has offered a way for us to come out of the judgment. It's called Jesus. The story of Noah and his boat is to be a prototype, a typology in a sense, that if you get on the boat, you get saved from the impending doom and wrath. And here's what the New Testament writers would later talk about Noah. In First Peter, he would say basically this, that Christ is the boat. And if you run into Christ, you escape the wrath of God. And God is gracious to give us the boat. And God is gracious to give us Christ. For some of you, you're just living, waiting for the judgment of God. And even for those of us who know Christ, we just live in sin. And can I just be honest with you, is that someday, the Bible is very clear, your sin will find you. It will. You can't live in sin very long until God will judge it, even for a believer. doesn't mean eternal damnation, but what it may mean is discipline, great discipline. God deals with sin and mercy and grace, and he deals with it in judgment. But then it continues on, and we see what happens. Basically, the flood comes, and then in verse in chapter 8, we see the next thing that God does. And this is great. I've just dumped a bunch of bad news on you, but it's about to get really good. Verse 1 says this, But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark, and God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed from the rain and the heavens were restrained and the waters receded from the earth continually. And at the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat and the waters continued to abate until the 10th month. And in the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. So here's what is true is that the judgment of God begins to recede. And the flood goes away, and it tells us that the mountains were covered in the flood. The mountains of Arant are 17,000 feet tall. The flood covered the mountains of Arant because it tells us that they begin to recede from the mountains of Arant. So the flood begins to recede. It begins to go away. Look at verse 6. At the end of 40 days, Noah opens the window of the ark that he had made and sent out a raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove to see the waters and see if they had subsided from the face of the ground. But the, the dove found no place to set her foot, and she returned to the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days. You see this repetitious number of seven and 40. And again, he sent forth the dove out of the ark, and the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent the dove forth, and she did not return to him anymore. And basically what is true about this is that the water was gone. Continue on with me here. We're just going to read this section. It says this. Look at verse 20. Noah built an ark to the Lord, and he took some of the clean animals and some of the clean birds, and offered a burnt offering to the Lord on the altar. When the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, 
Seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Then it continues on in chapter 9. We see something about Noah that is true. If you look at verse 8 in chapter 9, God said to Noah and his sons, Behold, I will establish my covenant with you and with your offspring and with every living creature that is with you. And God said, look at verse 11. My covenant with you will be this, that I will never again cut off all flesh by the waters of the flood, and never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. (coughs) And God said in verse 12, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between you and me, and every living creature that is with you, and for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between you and me. Basically, the rainbow. So God deals with sin and grace and mercy. God deals with sin and judgment. But here's the last thing we see in chapter 9. God deals with sin and covenant. Everybody say covenant. I cannot tell you how huge this theme is in Scripture. It is massive. So hang on with me for a second because we're almost done. Covenant is a way that God restores that which was lost. All throughout Scripture, we see this pattern, and it is this. Creation, curse, covenant. Covenant is initiated by God. That's why we're calling this thing the pursuit. God has pursued us, and he pursues Noah. And here's what he says to Noah. God, I will establish my covenant with you. So back then, back in the day, back in the day, when they would establish a covenant, two people would establish a covenant together. And there are different types of covenants. Some covenants are unconditional, that no matter what you do, the covenant remains. You get blessed by the covenant. Some covenants are not unconditional. They are conditional, meaning you have to do this, and then I will do this. And it's very similar throughout the Bible with God's covenants. The majority of God's covenants, which we will see is the Noahic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant, and eventually in the New Testament, the new covenant in Christ Jesus, is an unconditional covenant. God says, whatever you do, I will continue to do my part because I'm a faithful God. But there are some covenants, even in the scriptures, where God says, if you do this, I will do this. One of those is this. When he says to his nation, Israel, he says, if you will pray and repent and seek my face, I will turn and heal your land. That is not a promise for America, so to speak. That is a promise for Israel. God is a good God because he pursues us in covenant. And typically how covenant would work back then is they would take an animal, usually a lamb, hello, and they would cut it up. And then the person who was coveting would walk through the pieces of the cut up animal and there'd be blood everywhere. It was nasty. It was disgusting. And he would walk through that. And that was to be the covenant. And here's what I know is true is that Christ Jesus is our lamb. And we have to walk through Christ to enter into covenant with God. God's painting a picture. of Covenant. And it's based on his said love. His covenant with Noah is this, is that I will never flood the earth again. And I'm going to give you a promise. I'm going to put my bow, my rainbow in the sky. Now, here's what I love is that nowadays, if you see a rainbow, let's just be honest. What comes to mind first? Thank you. The homosexual lifestyle. What I love is that God is such a good marketer. People that don't even love God are ripping off his 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 like identifiers and using them for themselves. Right. For God, this is a covenant that says this. I will never destroy the earth in this way again. Because here's what God is doing. He is recreating. If you see in verse in chapter nine, look at what it says in verse one. We're almost done. God blessed Noah and he said to him, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And then he gives him control over the fish of the sea, birds of the heavens. And then he says this in verse three, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I've given you the green plants, I give you everything. He says basically this, Noah, you are 
<laughs> You're the new Adam. I'm starting over. But here's what we know about Noah. Is although there's a covenant that's been established and God will not wipe the earth clean anymore, there's going to have to someday be a covenant that changes your heart. Because later in chapter 9, we see Noah, who was a righteous man, and here's what happens in chapter 9. I won't go there for the sake of time, but it says that Noah gets drunk and he lays naked in his tent. Now he gets drunk. That is a sin. It says that his son walks in on him, one of his sons, and it says that he sees him laying in his nakedness. Now, some people have taken this to mean that they had some weird relationship that happened. The Bible does not spell that out for us. That's people just supposing things. But what we do know is that Noah sinned, he got drunk, and then he laid naked in his tent. And nakedness from the point of the fall on basically is this, shame. That Noah laid in his shame and he did not cover himself. That Noah revealed in his sin. He did not cover himself. So even Noah, who's a righteous man, still has a sinful heart, even after all of this. But God is a covenant God. And I want you to think about it like this as we kind of close up before Josh comes back up. Is that, um, I want you to think for a second about somebody who has uh, really wronged you. Like a lot. Like somebody who has stabbed you in the back, somebody who's gossiped about you, somebody who said something about you that is not true, a parent who has left you, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a brother, a sister, somebody. I want you to think about that experience and think about the hatred in your heart that you probably had towards them, the anger, the wrath that you probably had towards that person. Even little things. Like I, like I hear people, even people here that I know, We'll get upset with somebody else and say, I cannot, I can't, I cannot believe they did that. I don't want to hang out with them. I don't want to go anywhere with them. I don't know if I can ever forgive them. And it's something stupid, like they just said something wrong or looked at them the wrong way. And we get all bent out of shape. And then we look at Noah's life and we look at this story about God flooding the earth and we say, How could God do that? How could God be so mean? But the reality is, is this is you have offended a holy God a whole lot more than whatever had offended you offended you. Now, could you imagine you going to this offended person and saying, I'm going to make a covenant with you that will never change. The way I feel about you will never change. And to do that, I'm going to sacrifice something greatly. Ultimately, it would be Jesus Christ. That's our covenant God. That we have offended him greatly. And he pursues us with covenant. Hased, love of God. And he says to Noah, there's a boat. Get in it. It will save you from wrath. He's a good God. He says to us, there's a boat. Get in it. His name's Jesus. He will save you from wrath. He's a good God. And for some of us, we've forgotten what God has saved us from, so we don't live lifestyles of worship. And for others of us, we haven't been saved. We've not ran into the boat, so to speak. And the judgment is coming. The judgment of God is sure because he must deal with sin. But what I love about the cross of Jesus, I love about the story of Noah is this, is that on the cross, judgment and wrath and God's has said love collide with one another so that you and I can be saved. And the story of Noah points to that. It points to the has said love of God.
that God would be graceful and merciful in our sin, that he would establish covenant with us, and he would pour all his judgment and his wrath on Jesus. And if we run into Jesus, we are saved. That's salvation. And that's what the story of Noah points to. And someday when Peter would write 1 Peter, he would look back at Noah and he would go, it was all about the cross of Jesus. It was always about the cross of Jesus. The story of Noah is not just a story about a guy on a yacht. It's about Jesus. Because the Old Testament is a story of God about Jesus. And he tells us, get in the boat. Because I've given you a gift. It's called Christ. Let's pray. Just tonight as you um, kind of process everything that I threw at you, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, before Josh begins to play, I want to give you an opportunity to think about maybe what God is doing in your heart. For some of you, you've got sin in your life that is unrepentant. Repentance is basically a nice little biblical word that means changing your mind, leading to a change of action. We don't talk about it a lot, but it is there. For some of you who are believers in Jesus and you've been in this church all your life, you have sin that is a pet sin that you hold, and man, it is hidden, and nobody knows about it, but the judgment of God is coming. I'm just telling you it is. And if you're in Christ, you won't experience the wrath of God for eternity, but God will deal with your sin. And he invites you to repent as a gracious gift from God. Others of you in here, you maybe have never accepted Christ Jesus. And the Bible says those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Just like in the days of Noah, those who would have gotten on that boat would have been saved. And my prayer for you is that tonight you will call upon the name of the Lord. Very simply saying, God, I know that I've sinned. And I know that I need to be in Christ Jesus because he paid the penalty for my sin. He is the only one who can save you from the judgment and the wrath of God. And I know tonight has been heavy, but I cannot hold back from telling you the truth of God. God is a gracious God. He will deal with it with sin and judgment, but he is tarried and he wants to make a covenant with you just like he did with Noah. And so tonight, if you don't know Christ, I would invite you even in the silence of this moment, to cry out to God and say, Jesus, I need you in my life. Would you save me and change me? And to let one of us know, let somebody who you came with know, let me know, let one of these guys in the band know, we want to rejoice with you because Christ has pursued you. If you're a Christian in here and you come here every week and you've got sin in your life, man, repent tonight. Just repent. God is graciously allowing you the opportunity to repent, proving he is a good God. Let me pray for us, and Josh is going to lead us in a little bit of worship. Father, you are so good. God, we take so so for granted your character. We see things so upside down. Sometimes when we look at stories like Noah and we see your wrath, but we don't see your mercy and grace for 120 years. God, you have said, God, with great love and compassion for us. And God, I pray tonight for the people in this room, myself included, God, that you would um, cause us to live more lifestyles of worship because you have entered into covenant with us. And it is an unconditional covenant that can never be broken in Christ. And God, I pray that we would be people who would be full of righteousness, not because of what we've done, but because of what you've done for us. That we, God, would have the favor, the grace of God in our life. God, I pray tonight that you would lead us to worship you, not just in singing, but God, as we walk out of here with our lives, 
Thank you for the story of Noah that even when Moses was writing in the Torah, he had no clue what it was about, but it was about you, Jesus. It was about you. It pointed to you. So, Father, we love you tonight. And we sing these songs as an expression of our heart and our worship. We pray these things in your name. Amen. You can stand your feet. We're going to worship a little bit.